0: Hey, Rockstar, Matt Terrier here at Epic Real Estate. Got a hot show for you today. A really good friend of mine, an accomplished entrepreneur. And uh, we're just about to blow today's episode of Thought Leader Thursday up. Stay tuned. All righty. So our guest today is an accomplished entrepreneur who has coached thousands upon thousands of athletes on developing their mental game, advised hundreds of business owners on high-performance leadership and business growth. He's widely known for creating the 90-day year, a program for business owners who are frustrated with their level of performance and want a highly refined system to get out of their own way and see their business and personal leadership thrive. It's actually the same program that inspired the Epic 89 program here at Epic Real Estate, and I'm really grateful for him introducing it to me and allowing me the access. He has helped craft the alter egos of hundreds of professional Olympic and amateur athletes all around the world. It's how he built his name in sport and he's just written a book around this topic and it's why I asked him to be here today to join us to see uh, what there is for us as real estate investors inside of this concept of alter ego. The book is released here um, as we're listening to this and just next week on February 5th and I'm very much looking forward to reading it. So without further ado, please help me welcome to the show, Mr. Todd Herman. Todd, welcome to the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. My friend, thank you for having me on you're champ. There's a bunch there. I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything. So I was reading right <laughs> from the paper. Uh, I don't think anyone could tell too much, but no. uh, good to see you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Lots of exciting things happening for you right now. Uh, what does business look like for you these days? What does it look like today? It's frenetic is what it is. I mean, uh.
1: we've got the, you know, I've got this traditionally published book with Harper Collins coming out uh, on February the 5th. And so I'm, graciously getting invited onto uh, platforms like yours and uh, tons of others. So I'm doing a lot of travel, just doing the work. And then of course, I've got all my uh, private clients that I work with and then, you know, the other businesses that I have. So it's busy. Let's just say that. Right. Is this your first book? It's my first book. First I'm book. dyslexic. So I pushed it back years and years and years until I finally couldn't push it back any further. Got it. And, and Harper that's that's a big deal. Yeah, it was. We, um, I say this not to like brag, because it actually is more about the power of the idea. But we actually broke a publishing record by having um, nineteen publishers bidding on the book. And uh, you know, if someone doesn't know the publishing space, that's um, that would be like you know, two hundred business, two hundred homeowners or two hundred investors wanting to bid on the exact same home. It's it's really rare to get above even eight publishers willing to meet with you. So but like I sell people, it's actually the more the power of the idea. Uh, you know, alter egos have been used for centuries for people. Um, people kind of dismiss it as maybe something that's only used for someone like maybe in sports, which I've got tons of stories in the book about that or entertainers, but like, how can I make that work for me as like a real estate investor or a parent or whatever? And I go into it in the book of just the scientific power of using it and, uh, and how it actually brings
0: out the most real version of you that there is. Mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, you say that it's been around for a long time. It's actually pretty much a a very brand new concept to me. I mean, I've never Mm -hmm. really heard of it as a tool or as a resource or as a method for performance until I met you. Um, Can you explain to me what is the alter ego effect and and why is it important to performance?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, well, I mean the, the, the alter ego effect—the book—I mean, it talks about just the, the effect that alter egos have on people, right? And then, then there's the method itself that we use. But you know, alter egos—it was first coined in 44 BC by um, the Roman statesman and philosopher Cicero, and it's the root of the term means the other eye or trusted friend. Um, and and it's—and I'll come back to that in a second. what why that's really powerful for the people that are listening, but it's—it's um, it's about there's so many. We have this—we uh, as human beings the one the one thing that we truly have that makes us really unique on the planet as an animal is our our creative imagination. I mean, you know this as an investor. It's like, you know, there isn't if you only have one way to make a deal, well, best of luck with that. You're oh, you're you've, right. you're pretty one-dimensional. And it takes a lot of creativity to sometimes make deals work. You I mean, I know that you talk to your crowd about that all the time. And so our creative imagination is the thing that really makes us unique on the planet. You know, our ability to love or our ability for affection and caring and, you know, gratitude for other things, you know, those are all powerful emotions, but they're not unique to us. But our creative imagination, our ability as human beings to create stories in our head to suspend the disbelief about what we can do and possibly channel someone or something else to get out there and do the hard things that we want to go and do, or to create a heaven from hell and a hell from heaven, which we can do, right? I mean, two people coming out of the exact same circumstance, one excels and one, you know, falls into oblivion, right? Mm-hmm. Well, one created a, a heaven from the hell and one created a hell from what could have been a heaven for them as well. Mm-hmm. And so this creative imagination is really important. And what an alter ego does is it simply taps into that native power that we have and allows us to maybe move past some internal resistance that we might have towards the goals that we have and leverage someone, something else to help make that happen. And I mean, I know that you deal with that, you know, with, with investing crowds, it's sometimes it's, we get to a threshold of what we think that we can invest in like, Oh, you know what? I do single family homes. I could never go do a multifamily type of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I know on the inside, cause I work with you know, high level, I live here in New York city and I work with high level wall street people all the time. Um, I know though, the fact that someone just said that means that they actually wouldn't mind having a multifamily home, but they just can't see it for themselves. But if they stepped into their inner Matt Terrio, mm-hmm. you know, or what, like whatever the case is,
0: um, or whoever it is, maybe that person can. Right. Well, can you give me an example of how you have, where you first practically use this, where you stepped into your inner, Todd Herman, and sure. you saw it actually make a difference. Well, I
1: mean, I was a highly recruited football player. Um, I'm Canadian. I grew up on a big farm and ranch up in uh, in Canada. Uh, you know, moved all around the world, and, and now I live in New York City. But when I was playing sport, I ended up kind of falling into this concept and and using it. And it's again, it's one of those things where young people. Do it all the time. Like I mean, this great thing about this idea is, I don't really actually need to teach people anything new. People already know how to do this because it's an impa- it's a it's a innate part of the human condition. We've all used them when we were kids. When you pretended to be a cowboy or a fireman or s- Superman or your favorite, you know, baseball player. You're playing Don Mattingly at the LA Dodgers. Um, right. uh, you know, Super Camp, whatever. Right. But so so we've all used it. It's, there's nothing complicated about it. It's just that we forget that it could be used maybe in other applications. So I used it on the field uh, for the football field. And I had my, you know, my my inner alter ego on the football field was Geronimo. And Geronimo was actually a composite of a whole bunch of different characters. One was Walter Payton. You know, mm-hmm. I he was I revered him, Ronnie Lott, the the mm-hmm. great defensive safety for the San Francisco sure. 49ers. And um, and I'm a huge Native American buff. And so I built this like tribe in my head. And right before I'd go on the field when I'm in the locker room, in my mental movie theater in my head, I would imagine Walter and Ronnie walking in through, through two separate doors and then the tribe walking in as well. And they'd approach me and Walter would carry the, the cards with him, and these, the five trading cards. Three of them were Walter Payton and two of them were Ronnie Lott. And he would hand me the cards in my head and he would say, um, uh, here you go. Take a piece of each of us with you out onto the field and show up exactly like we would out there. But don't you for one second dishonor who we are and how we played by not showing up like we would. And so for me, it's about like when you're when you're really going to take that idea with you, empower it by always staying committed to it. So that's what I would do. And then when I'd, I'd take uh, one of Walter Payton's cards and I'd put it in my because uh, I had five trading cards, I put one in my helmet because I wanted to think like him out there and I wanted to see the field like he would. And then I'd put one of Ronnie Lots in my shoulder pad and the other one of Ronnie Lotts in the other shoulder pad. And then I'd put the final two of Walter Payton's in my uh, my thigh pads because I wanted to run like Walter and I wanted to hit like Ronnie and I wanted to think like uh, Walter. But I wanted to carry the spirit of the Native American tribe with me out there as well. And so that was myself. I'd go out there as Geronimo. Todd didn't still go on the field. Geronimo went out there. And again, I'm not a physical specimen. I'm not six foot four and 240 pounds. You know, I was six feet and 156 pounds soaking wet when i was in high school but i played way bigger than i than than i looked in fact i actually in in one game i i broke two football helmets of my own right down the middle because i hit Mm -hmm. guys so hard doesn't make any sense um to someone when they would look at me but i did i played at a i played at a a high level for myself fast Mm -hmm. forward though and how it worked out in business though for me Mm -hmm. was after i got done playing football I started volunteering at a high school, teaching the defensive backs, football um or just uh, you know the defensive side of it and i'd spend more time with them on like the mental game like you guys you need to develop some better routines you need to you know set some better goals for yourself and need to use some like visualization skills and so i give them all the toolbox stuff that i would use Mm -hmm. um and they started getting great results and then a good buddy of mine in canada is one of the top hockey trainers in the world brought me into his hockey academy so i started talking to them but i started getting really insecure because this started was rolling into a business and i looked like i was 12 years old so i was like who's going to listen to a 21-year-old talking about mental game stuff, you know, mm-hmm. I don't have a degree in this or whatever, but I had come in contact with a bunch of sports psychology people and they didn't know jack squat about helping people perform. They were just, you know, booky people that were were deep into the nerd stuff that wasn't actually working on the field to play. They were getting kids kids to think too much. So I knew my stuff was working, but I was stopping myself from getting out there. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, just one day I was like, wait a second. I use this idea when I was playing football. Why can't I use it in in business as well? You know, I'm, I feel insecure. I, I don't have the confidence to go out there and do things and I'm completely indecisive. So I wanted to be confident, decisive, and articulate. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, well, how can I make that happen for myself? I wanted to step into a Superman version of me. And then just, I thought of like the classic Clark Kent Superman thing, but I wanted to use glasses to step into the more Superman, not you know, Superman put on glasses to become Clark Kent, the mild-mannered version of himself. So he'd be accepted by society. I didn't want to be mild-mannered at all. Cause that's how I was showing up already. And so I went out and this is long before glasses became a, uh, a trendy sort of fashion thing. And I went to West Edmonton mall in Edmonton, Alberta, where I was living at the time. Mm-hmm. And I went to lens crafters and I bought a pair of non-prescription glasses. And this was again, when it wasn't cool to wear them. And the optometrist was like, wait, nobody comes in and buys glasses to like, when they don't need them. And I was like, listen, just give me the glasses, please. And, <laughs> and that's right. what I did. And I would put them on and I'd step into Richard and not Richard's actually my first name, mm-hmm. but I would step into the, that was like my Superman version and I would be confident and articulate and decisive. And that's what really helped get me
0: past those insecurities to get out there and do the things I wanted to go do. Got it. So is that, is that the process when you're working with somebody is kind of identify the, the deficiencies or the weaknesses and build the superhero around that? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, in the book,
1: I kind of walk through like the process of building it, but even, you know, after chapter three, because chapter one, two, and three just build up like just the foundational part of it tells you the backstory, the the history of it. I talk about stories of Bo Jackson and myself um, and his alter ego and, um, and then many, many other people throughout history that have used them and then the science of it. But then after that point, I even tell people in chapter four, listen, this is a choose your own adventure type book. If you want to go read about, you know, totems and artifacts like glasses in order to step into that alter ego, go right ahead. That's in chapter 14. And you can bounce around. But if I'm truly working with someone, I'm looking for those deficiencies, those frustrations, those ways that someone is, you know, possibly beating themselves up for not getting out there. And, um, you know, so what aren't you doing right now? Or how are you feeling about your investor self, right? And that's what's this is actually a really important point for people. People have to understand, um, and the mistake that human beings make, and it actually creates um, mental health issues with folks, is you do not operate as a single self. You do not take one person into every single area of your life and act as the same person, right? Like who you are with me right now is of course going to be different than who you are with your kids. Makes Mm -hmm. sense. And we all get that. It's just that we don't take that and really start thinking of our life through that lens and acting with intention in the context of that space. And this is really important. Like if I'm a mental game coach to investors right now, I'm like, who and what needs to show up on that field of play in that role that you're playing as an investor that is pre-built to succeed, you know, suspend the disbelief about what you think you can and cannot do and what resources you do and do not have. Okay. Screw all that stuff. But what type of person would you want to bring out there? And then you define those. What are those qualities? What are those characteristics, those superpowers, those traits that you want to exhibit out there? Is it you want to be methodical? you want to be detail oriented? You want to be someone who's shrewd, you know, you're to be someone who's confident when you're negotiating so that you can own the space that you're standing in and you're not going to take, you know, something that isn't, that is less than what you should or whatever. Like what, again, there could be many things. I mean, I'll ask you when you think of yourself, cause I mean, you're extremely accomplished at what it is that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, like what are the qualities
0: that you developed that helped you become so successful? Um, belief when you're learning oh. something new, you're, you're not going to look good while you're learning to do it. So be okay with looking silly as you're learning yeah. something new. The humility then mm-hmm. Yeah, I of, guess the, the humility. of being coachable and all that. When mm-hmm. you take a look at
1: the, the qualities and the characteristics of the people who have been like some of your best
0: students, how are they showing up? Like, what are they doing? Coachable is a really good word. Mm-hmm. Um, resourceful. You know, not being so, not so needy. Oh my God, I'm stuck. What I do, what I do, in panic. Like, yeah, I guess calm and and being able to be like, okay, I can't get a hold of Matt this very second. Where else could I find the answer? That being resourceful and and not totally abandoning their their intuition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And so if I'm asking that to anybody else, so if those are the if those
1: are the qualities that you want to bring, someone who's calm, someone who's resourceful, someone who when they're dealing with their mentor is someone who's coachable. Mm -hmm. Um, someone who is, uh, confident, maybe not confident. And it's not confident that, you know, all the answers, but this goes back to resourceful, but confident that, you know, that you can figure it out. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I know I've got that. I know I can figure it out, right? Not because I'm smarter than everyone else, but because I know that someone else is going to quit on the treadmill before me. I just know that that's, so I'm persistent as hell. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's actually one of the big qualities of people that I know that are great investors, whether it's in, you know, stocks or whether it's in real estate is they're persistent. You know, I think, you know, uh, I would say, as I've seen a couple of friends get into like real estate investing, the biggest mistake is they thought they were supposed to find their moonshot on the very first deal. Right. And then they're like, oh, well, this doesn't work. And it's like, really, are you sure? Because I literally see Tens of thousands of other human beings on the planet build massive wealth with this.
0: So you're kind of full of crap with it. So, um, (laughs) 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 well, it's true. It's like, so no persistence is huge. I'd definitely add that to the pile for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, well, this gets down to your belief thing,
0: right? I mean,
1: I'm, you got to remember, I've been doing this for 20, 21 plus years. Now I've been rattling around between the six inches of people's ears for a very long time. There isn't anything that I haven't heard quite yet. And I talk about it in chapter three of the book that there is, um, if you think of like the layers of how we develop ourself, there's a layer called the belief layer that I kind of unpack. And there's an infographic in the book that I walk through with it. And it's really, really helpful for people as a context, but a belief isn't true. A belief is true to you, a belief isn't necessarily true to me. Like if you and I are walking down the street together and we're both walking on the sidewalk, we can both point to the sidewalk and say, yeah, that's a sidewalk. How do I know that? Because you're experiencing it and I'm experiencing it. That's truth. We look up at the sky, the sky is blue. That's truth. But you telling me that real estate is only for, um, you know, middle-class white guys, that's not true. That's just your belief. Right. Right. And so... I have to challenge people constantly on what's true and what's not true. And then are you willing to give up your belief? And so I think something you had said there is belief is really important. Yes. But what also is important is the willingness to give up old beliefs and accept new beliefs. It's like Mm -hmm. Bruce Lee. He always said to people when it came to training, you know, what does it take for me to get to where you are? An empty cup. You can't right. come to me with a cup that's already filled up with your knowledge. You need to be willing to empty that cup and allow me to pour in my knowledge and let it overflow even because mm-hmm. otherwise my mixing my stuff with your old stuff, just isn't going to work. And that's getting back to that idea of coachability. So mm-hmm. you know, long way around, many different conversations there, but yes, we start with what are the characteristics that we want to bring to a specific field of play, right? Okay like even myself. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to be a, you know, who I wanted to show up as in business was someone who was confident, articulate, and decisive. Three things that I was not having at the time. Now, in other areas, totally confident. You put me on a sporting field, I feel confident that I'll figure it out. Um, But in business, it was so new to me and I just just lacked that confidence. Um, And now, you know, it didn't take that many or that long before I truly became that person. And so... But when I go home to my kids, I got three little ones, five and under. um, And when I go home, do they want confident, decisive, and articulate dad? Of course not. That's not what they want. So I don't wear these glasses around my kids. Instead, when I go home, I want to make sure that that role that I'm playing with them is the playful, the fun, the gentle Todd, because... I'm a challenger personality in order for me to work with the, you know, Olympians and pro athletes that I do, you know, you know, they're around big personalities and tough personalities. I have to be a challenger to them. I have to challenge them because they have nothing but yes, people around them. And I'm the exact opposite with them, but, and it's very easy because I reinforce that habit of the way that I act over and over again, every single day with all my clients, just like you would. Mm -hmm. It's so easy for me to just go home and continue to be the challenger personality. Well, A little three-year-old doesn't need that, doesn't need me challenging them and getting them in their, getting in their face. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I go home, when I started, when I was, when I was a new dad, I would, my middle daughter, Sophie, she's, uh, and I think probably everyone has one son or daughter that's like this, where she has an emotional bandwidth that has very, very high highs and some fantastic tantrum lows (laughs) that she can get to. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has a decibel level that she can get to with her voice that just drives me mad. Um, and so when she would be in that tantrum space, that force that was coming at me, I would stand up and I would bring my force to that. Well, force versus force typically doesn't work in any situation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and then all you're doing is you're just sort of blowing your, you're sort of playing your, your large adult um, scary role on top of them. And she would have a tantrum that would last 15, 20 minutes because of that. And then I thought, wait a second, Todd, let's go back to this idea of the alter ego. Who would I most want to embody when I'm with my kids? Um, I've already got the fun, playful thing taken care of, but you know, how could I be more gentle with them? And immediately I went to Mr. Rogers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's inarguable that the man is not prolific with children, right? And, and so then I just immediately, it takes eight seconds for all of us especially if you've had an experience with that, um, I, I, that character that you would think about playing. I'm like, well, immediately, Mr. Rogers would get down on his knee because he always gets on eye level. And he definitely wouldn't f- meet force with force. He would probably go in for a hug or something like that. Anyway, that night, Sophie had a meltdown, and I did exactly that. Now, inside, I'm like, because that voice just gets to me. But I just I just followed through, and in 50, she melted. Uh, Cause I leaned in, I just grabbed her, I gave her a hug and boom, she was done. 15 seconds, the meltdown was over. And it's just like with any kid, 20 seconds later, she's off playing with her siblings and all, thing is, all things are fine. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect example of embodying the spirit of someone or something else to help you perform at a higher level, right? And anyone can use this because most likely you're dealing with ambitious achievers. And so it's not just limited to investing. They probably have other fields that they want to do well on, parenting or grandparenting or whatever the case might be, fitness and nutrition. Well, why not be a little bit more playful with ourselves? We already have this creative imagination, and let's start tapping into it. I, by very nature, am a very serious person. And so, for me, it helps prevent me from taking myself so
0: seriously as well. Mm -hmm. That's great. So, Todd, you've been… Like how would you said, you've been rolling around in the six inches between everybody's ears for the last two decades, yeah, and you've got you've kind of built this not kind of you've built this business around uh, deploying this i don't know technology I'd almost call it right, right? what happens or, or what has happened in your career, or what happened to create such demand for the book yeah. Because up until right now, I understood it, but I didn't understand it. And you took me through a great uh, journey there. And yeah. I really, I'm much more connected to it now. So the demand for it, why why now? Mm-hmm. I think one thing is,
1: um, it's the classic idea of like investing. How does a lot of wealth get created? Well, a lot of people trying to go out into the ocean and create their own wave. Very frustrating. And that'd be like someone who's like, oh, like just marketing, 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 trying to create demand, 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 demand. Well, when you take a look at the majority of the wealth that's ever been created by people it's putting a surfboard in front of a wave that's already coming right and just mm-hmm. carrying that wave forward bill gates steve jobs you know larry ellison all those guys you know it's not that they were smarter than everyone else mm-hmm. they they definitely deserve credit but they were on the technology surfboard when the wave was building so you would have to be close to an idiot to not get wealthy at least a little bit in that space mm-hmm. so right now it could be you know, artificial intelligence, a wave that's building. Well, right now with, with this book, I think it's just catching a wave that's been building around people getting really, really tired of, especially because of social media, there is this pervasive narrative and storytelling of people's highlight reels of their lives. And then if it's not that, then it's the very toxic side of the internet that goes along with it. And, and I think there's people that are caught in the middle and they're like, they can get caught up with the idea of looking bad to other people, judgment, criticism, worry, doubt, doubting themselves. Um, And, and they, it's getting back to this place of like truly honoring, you know, who and what you want to bring out there and not be so concerned about what other people are thinking or your circumstance or your situation. And like you kind of said, it's it is equated to more of a technology to go and use it, but it's tapping into something that it's not hard. It's, it's people get this stuff. It, I don't know if you've seen the documentary on Mr. Rogers at all. Um, Won't you be my neighbor? I've seen clips. I haven't seen that. It's, entirety. it's fascinating. It's really good. And I mean, probably 25% of that movie is dedicated to talking about Mr. Rogers's alter ego, Daniel tiger. And his wife says it best. She said, you know, Daniel, and now Daniel tiger is a, a you know, a very popular cartoon for kids. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she said, you know, when he had that, when he had that puppet on, that was the most real Fred that you could find. That was really him. Cause it was really bringing out that kind of gentle self. That's what she called it in the, in the documentary. And, um, and so this idea has been around forever. And all I'm doing is just picking up all the breadcrumbs and just showing people that no, this is actually something that's very natural. It's the most real self that you can bring to the table, because nothing beats you up more than when you put your head on the pillow at night, and you say, why didn't I say that? Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I actually take action and invest in the thing that Matt put in front of me at that event when I know, you know, based on what I've seen of him, he can help me get to that next, that le- that next level. So there was some sort of self-doubt that that person had. Most people, I would say, because I've been around you for a very long time and I've seen your results that you get people, people aren't doubting you. Most people are doubting themselves
0: because mm-hmm. I've
1: purchased other things before and it didn't work out. So why is this one going to be different? Well, I can tell you why, because Matt focuses on implementation, not on teaching you stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's such an accessible idea. I think people get it right away. And when I unpack it and I, because people go, yeah, I get how could that could work for Bo Jackson or Beyonce using Sasha Fierce, but those people are entertainers and athletes, but how would that work for me as an investor? Well, that was why it's important that I kind of just shared just you know, some of those ideas that people could tap into because it is, it's super accessible. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Daniel tiger was related to a uh, Mr. Rogers. Yeah. That was his hand puppet that he used I on the show. That.
0: that was, that was his first hand puppet. I believe that he brought out on the, mm-hmm. uh, on the PBS show. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah. <laughs> as you can tell I'm a dad, cause I know exactly who that was. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you like best about what you do, Todd? Working with just very
1: interesting people constantly. Um, and, problem solving of it all. I just love figuring it out. Now, there aren't that many different problems that I'm going to come across because everyone pretty much operates inside of the same ecosystem of, it could be past personal trauma that could be stopping someone. It could be imposter syndrome. It could be the hidden force of, you know, Like I said before, tribal narrative of, you know, well, my family wasn't investors, so why would I be an investor? Or, you know, no one from my town has ever made it to, you know, the big leagues, so why would I make it? Like all those things are very insidious. They sit below our unconscious and we sort of act through those things. Mm -hmm. Um, But once I, because I have the framework, I just love, you know, Sort of weaving my way through and and figuring out that problem and and solving it because you know there's few things in life that can be more gratifying and I think you'd agree yeah. I mean, you've you've seen the success stories for yourself of of having someone just kick their life up to another level
0: um, it's uh, yeah I mean that's the easily yeah. the most satisfying part of it it's pretty remarkable totally when you get to be a part of that yeah and you get acknowledged for it as well and it even feels better yeah when they yeah that that's that's I mean. Uh, I
1: was asked at an event not too long ago, how can you get around, um, you know, they're, again, they're being nice, but they were like, how can I get around someone like you? Um, or how can I, you know, make, you talked about your like Rolodex and relationships and, and that being the ultimate superpower, which we can talk about in a second, maybe with people, but you know, how can I get around and just improve that Rolodex? And I said, one of the easiest things you can do is if you're someone who actually consumes information, a book even, um, or you go to a seminar or you buy an online program or whatever the case is, loop around to that person and send them a note or an email or a short little video saying, you know, hey, Matt, uh, just want to let you know, I've actually been following a bunch of your social media posts. And just from those alone, this is what my life has turned into and like, right? If you want to get on someone's radar screen, send people that because we have, I mean, some of us have thousands and thousands of clients around the world that we know we've helped But, you know, people are busy and it's just natural. People are busy and and they forget to loop around. But if you want to get on someone's radar screen, which then turns into like, hey, would you mind if we gave you a call? I'd love to hop on the phone with you and figure out now now the ball starts rolling. That's exactly what I've done. You know, every day, the very first thing I do when I sit down at my desk right here Mm -hmm. is I write a handwritten note. Mm -hmm. I ran a handwritten note and I've done it since I was 21. So I've written over 4,400 handwritten notes. Daniel Day-Lewis. He responded back. Philip Seymour Hoffman, before he passed away, he responded back. Ronald Reagan, Nancy Reagan. I think the percentage is somewhere around ninety-one percent of all people I've sent an, uh, a handwritten note to has responded back. And again, I use a wax seal, you know, the classic old thing, uh-huh. um, and I use a specific wax so that it doesn't break when it goes through the U.S. Postal Service's you know machines and all that kind of stuff. But um, you know what? The most common response back I get from people. Hmm. Most common response back I've gotten from people is this, and this goes from the top achievers all the way down to just some random person that I just really liked their book and I sent them a note. Same thing. You have no idea how much I needed to get this today. Mm. You know, life is hard for many people. Yeah right? Like we're all sometimes just caught in the hard slog of stuff. And to have someone that sat down and write you just a simple handwritten note, it's not two pages, it's just one simple page, just expressing my gratitude for that person, writing the book, creating the video, congratulating them on the award that they got or whatever it is, or, you know, something that they did that, you know, has helped shape me, um, means so much to that person in that moment. And I think if we did more of that stuff, um, you're definitely going to open up doors because I don't know about you, but Easily, it, when I take a look at the the slowest times in my life where I was growing or developing as a business or, or person, it was when I did not have mentors and coaches or good relationships around me. I was not
0: pursuing and developing those more. Mm. Actually, gave me chills, Todd. <laughs> yeah, I needed to hear that today because uh, I've been on both sides of that. That yeah, field, and so I I get it. Uh, the book, the alter ego effect. It's in stores online. Available everywhere. Books are sold February 5th. Um, what's one action someone could take right now to start getting results with the alter ego? First thing, or there's, there's many things that we could do, but- I um, just want to get like, leave something with, with something
1: practical. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Use something to activate it. So I talked about the glasses. The glasses were something that I used to, to activate it. Use a totem or an artifact, find something. And by the way, what you're doing is you're, you're using something that we have psychologically called enclosed cognition. We have this uh, phenomenon in our mind where when the things that we wear changes our mental state, it's called enclosed. We We give clothing meaning. Mm-hmm. And so there was a study, if you don't mind, I'll just t- talk about this quick little study. Kellogg School of Management did this study on enclosed cognition. Um, and they brought a bunch of students into a room and they got them to um, look at this puzzle on the wall. Have you ever seen that? Um, those boxes where in each box is like the word of a color, but the color inside of the word is different than the color? So it's a yellow, mm-hmm. but it's in green. And then right. blue is in red and brown is in pink. And, and what you have to do is you have to go across and say the word. And it's really hard to do it because you see the color and you're like, ah, it's, okay, well, it's yellow is what I see, but it's green is the word. So anyways, I brought a bunch of students into a room and it's a five by Fox, five by five grid, I think it was. And they just tested their accuracy and attention and the detail to see how quickly they could get through the puzzle without many mistakes and all that kind of stuff. So they tracked all the, the data that group leaves brings in, a, bring in another group. This group, they hand them a painter's coat or hand them a white coat and they tell them it's a painter's coat and then they get them to do the thing. Great, capture all the data, they leave. Next group comes in and again, they're bringing in each person individually and they hand them the same white coat as the previous group except this time they tell them it's a lab coat and a doctor's coat and then they capture their data. So between the painter's group and the, um, the first group, just plain clothes, what do you think the difference was in their results? How quickly they could do it and the amount of mistakes that they made.
0: Wow. Um, I would imagine the painter's coat kept on saying the color and the lab coat kept on saying the words. Well, between the painter's coat and the plain clothes people,
1: there was no difference whatsoever. Oh, no Nothing. Difference. Okay. Yeah. But when you get to the lab coat doctor's question. coat, damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the lab coat doctor's coat people, they did it in half the time and they made less mistakes than everybody else. Why? Because when you're told that you're wearing a lab coat or a doctor's coat, you're enclosing yourself in the cognitive state of someone who's a doctor. Well, what is a doctor? Detail oriented, smart, you know, eye for detail, don't make mistakes, because if they did, then surgeries would be in a lot of trouble with surgeries. Or lab you know that they're lab, you know, it's processed, it's very careful, methodical, all that kind of stuff. And so just by putting on something new, it changed performance. Mm. Well, me, who's rattling around inside the head, I'm not so concerned about the terms of authenticity or whatever. I care about whether or not you're getting a better result, right? And that has nothing to do with faking it till you're making it. I'm simply leveraging something that's already there. And so these glasses mean and meant smart, confident, articulate. And so when I put them on, I was enclothing myself in something new so that I could step into it. Same thing with other clients and customers. When we find that other totem, that artifact that they could put on, that they could wear, you know, clients who use something that they were given from their grandma or their grandfather or whatever the case might be that allows them to, you know, indoctrinate themselves into that persona. If that helps you perform better, then all the power to you. So as a tool, take that thing away and think about stepping into that investor self when you get out there or parent or whatever the case might be.
0: Yeah, reminds me of a, The Deion Sanders saying, if you look good, you feel good. You
1: feel good. You feel
0: good. You play good. Yeah. Good. They pay good. (laughs) I miss I miss him out on that field, man. I grew up with that dude. So uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Nice. Super. Um, Yeah. I guess I was going to ask if someone wanted to get in touch with you, what'd be the best way for them to do that? And maybe it's just go get the book and I would love it if I could meet people into the, in the pages of, uh, of the book itself but
1: toddherman.me is my home base on the internet. So people can find me there and alter ego If people want to go learn a little bit more about the book, I've got some other videos for people there. And
0: then of course there's links on my, uh, on my home base for across all the social media channels as well. Fantastic, Todd. Well, congratulations. I hope this wave catches you. I don't think it could happen to a better person. I appreciate it, man. Thank and, you. Uh, stay in touch. I'll actually see you probably next month. Worst case. I will see you next month. All right, buddy. <laughs> See ya. Take care. Bye. All righty. So that's it for today's episode of Thought Leader Thursday. I'll see you next week on another episode of Thought Leader Thursday right here on the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. Take care.